hi everyone uh welcome again to another episode of doors within us um and i'm here with satoshi shinada uh, he's a doer within great markets he's based in nigeria um a very amazing guy um i was lucky enough to meet him here in boston when he was a student at harvard business school and today uh he's a partner at the kepler africa ventures which he's going to talk about um more with us um and he's you know supporting entrepreneurs in nigeria and across africa and just doing some really incredible work as a venture capitalist so um it's such an honor to have him here and I'm really excited to have a conversation with him and uh and I appreciate the fact that he took time out of his very busy schedule to be here with us to share his story. So um if you don't mind um Satoshi um uh please just start with uh you know introducing yourself and sharing with us uh you know who you are. Just kind of tell us who you are and and by the way he graduated from Harvard Business School class of 2019. and now he runs this VC firm and you know it's, it's expanding so uh so Satoshi welcome and uh, thank you so much for being here um if you can just start by just telling us a little bit about yourself sure thank you Jacob um i'm so happy to reconnect with you in this way after three years when we spent time together in boston yeah um before going to hbs actually i traveled really around africa since i was 18 years old and i was a backpacker hippie guy i was born and i grew up in japan so i really wanted to expose myself to different culture different values and after traveling around africa i became so enthusiastic about the continent and what i found through my experience of traveling around africa is that making money is a kind of common language to connect different people from different backgrounds and as we all know africa is so diversified you have so many ethnicities with different cultural backgrounds and even if i travel like in sudan or in mali i i meet nigerian traders for example and how they are connected to the different local communities is by trading yep. and apparently obviously like everyone is making a living by buying and selling things so everyone is like business person traders and i felt making money is the common language so i decided to start business in africa after graduating from university of tokyo in japan and i joined a japanese company called sojit and i was assigned to nigeria from 2010 to 2015 and i was in charge of developing and investing in infrastructure and energy projects back then and i achieved um fast desalination project in sub-saharan africa at a commercial scale after investing 20 million us dollars and arranging project finance of 100 million us dollars and i was starting to ask myself if this is something i want to continue for the rest of my life infrastructure business is quite old fashioned conventional business model and you don't really need to be creative and while i was like asking myself that question i met with different entrepreneurs in in nigeria and i think 2014 2015 was a very interesting time because um opposite to my perception about brain drain that was the time when i started to see more 
great, brilliant talents coming back to Nigeria to start new business models by combining new, new technology with the market potential in Africa. And I felt these entrepreneurs are so fashion-driven, vision-driven, and they are new generations who are going to create new future of the continent. So I really wanted to work with these people and I decided to change my career. So my entrepreneurial journey really started since then. And I was back to Japan for a while, then I went to HBS. And while I was at school, I had a chance to work with a VC fund based in Nigeria. So that really exposed me to the ecosystem in Nigeria and Africa. And from the end of 2018, we started Get One Free Ventures with my two other partners. And in 2019, I relocated back to Nigeria and I started investing in just mainly seed stage startups in Western North Africa, while my partner, Rio, who is based in Nairobi, he covers Eastern Southern Africa. So that's how our journey as a VC fund started. That, that's such a great story. And thank you so much for like, going back uh, prior to Harvard Business School. Just give us some context of just like your familiarity with the ecosystem, right? I think. Uh, for most people, starting a VC fund in Africa uh, without any experience is really difficult. And for you to have the experience prior to that, I think that helped a lot. Just giving you like the local context, right? Um, um, with regards to just building businesses in Africa. Uh, I love the fact that you mentioned that money is a common language. Uh, I think that is something that, you know, uh, irrespective of culture or just, you know, you know, common um um, different experiences, you know, just having that as a lens is very interesting. Can you please help us um, um, give us like a little bit of, you know, some, um, uh, in terms of like your experience at Harvard Business School, how did that help shape um, some of your ideas or maybe help you kind of reevaluate re you're uh, moving back to Nigeria. Was there any, um, like, were there people you met or people that really inspired you to kind of give you uh, clarity, uh, some clarity of your this transition back to Nigeria? Or did you just help clarify the business model of Kepler Africa? Uh, sorry, the Club for Ventures. Yeah, sure. Thank you for asking that. So um, when I decided to work for the startups, when I was in Nigeria back in 2014, 2015, I was asking myself, what can I do and what is my strength as a Japanese to work in the VC space in Africa? And I couldn't find anything because Japan is obviously, you know, economy is shrinking, the society is aging, and Japan is no more sitting at the center of innovation. And I tried different business models with my previous job and I couldn't get any great insight from working with the Japanese company or even after spending five years in Nigeria I felt that my perspectives are kind of getting narrower and narrower and too much localized so I wanted to expand my perspective first of all and I wanted to immerse myself into the ecosystem in both Africa and the US. And what I noticed when I was in Nigeria was that both capital, talents, and even technologies are going back and forth between Silicon Valley and the continent, especially in Nigeria. 
So I think the best way to expose myself to this space is to put myself in the same situation, going back and forth between Silicon Valley or the US in general and the continent. And finally, I wanted to connect my last piece, which is very rooted to my identity as a Japanese. And Japan has a lot of capital, thanks to the you know, economic growth that we have achieved in the past 30 years or 40 years. But now Japanese companies are seeking more money and they are trying to outsource innovation to enter into different new markets. And Japanese companies ended up setting up a lot of corporate venture capital to invest in Silicon Valley startups, but they are actually wasting money because they're not part of the community in Silicon Valley. So they en end up investing in second tier, third tier startups for the most of the Japanese companies. And if I can divert part of that money into African ecosystem, I have a lot of strength. As I did business in Africa, I know the operation, I know the market, and I developed my network and knowledge from HBS and also the you know extended community from there about innovation. And I can you know go back to Japan to bring capital and even strategic investors from Japan. Then I can complete this triangle of connecting the continent, the US and Japan bringing all the different pieces necessary to become successful as a VC fund in Africa. So HBS was really important step for me because it gave me a lot of network. And especially if I look at alarms from HBS, some of them are very influential in traditional sectors, but also some of them became entrepreneurs and also VC investors. Mm. So I could you know, develop that network while I was at school and I reached out to different alarms and most of them were very you know, helpful. And actually, currently we are running the second fund and that partner is called Apini from Nigeria, Belt, Cap Belt Capital. And one of the founders of Belt Capital is HBS Alam. And I reached out to him when I was at school. Yeah. And after that, he saw how I have been you know, doing my best to increase our investment in Nigeria as capital ventures. And at some point we were catching up and he was impressed with what I'm doing. And we found that we can complement each other very well because they're doing P fund and we are doing early stage focused BC fund. And if we combine our expertise and experience, we can add more value to the ecosystem. So it's just one example, but you know, HBS network really helped me to you know, quickly start yes. launch capital Africa ventures and expanding our activity. So, yeah, that's that's incredible. Um, and such a great, I mean, such a great network to be to be you know um, be be a part of. Um, so like just going how like things started, and you've already touched a little bit of how uh, capital Africa ventures started. Um, and that triangle that you built, or uh, you saw the the where you actually can fit in. Um. Just, just kind of walk us through, like, how did you um, really convince them, like, you know, I'm the guy for this, and you guys should give me some money to go back to Nigeria uh, to to start to start this. How was the process? And I think what I'm go going to is like one um, on the ground in Nigeria. Why was you know why did you decide 
you know, Nigeria had to be the base or, you know, tentatively had to be the area where you guys should uh, be headquartered in. And, and, you know, how did you really kind of get that that ball rolling? Like, no, this is, we need this money. There, there are a lot of opportunities in Nigeria. If you can help us work us through that, um, that'll be really insightful for us to learn. Great. Yeah, so personally, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time in Nigeria, and in total, I've spent all, almost like seven years in total in Nigeria. So obviously, that's the place I'm really good at, I'm familiar with, and it's like my second home country. So I have attachment to Nigeria. Yeah. But luckily, Nigeria is one of the, you know, most important market for the VCs, because if you look at the VC funding in Africa, always Nigeria, Kenya, Egypt, South Africa, they are the top four, top five countries in the continent. And because uh, my partner is based in Kenya and I'm based in Nigeria, it's like, you know, we are already having the corners of the hotel, right? So if you have Nigeria and Kenya, it's easier to expand to the new markets and you can even apply your experience from these two important markets to the other neighboring markets. So, yeah, I think it was quite strategic to choose Nigeria and Kenya, but also luckily we ourselves were connected to Nigeria and Kenya already. Mm. And my partner, Rio, has moved to Kenya with his wife and kids and his either speaking Swahili, so, you know, we are very locally um, immersed, immersed yeah. in, the, in, the, in, the, in the ecosystem. That, that's that's yeah. incredible. Um, so uh, can you just talk a little bit about your founders and how that has played a role, um, you know, in building this, this, this uh, VC fund and just kind of, you know, get, getting the ball rolling. I, you said one is Kenya. Uh, you just have one one partner or the I have two partners. Have two other partners. So we are three. Yeah, we started with these three members. And I think it relates to your previous question about how did I convince maybe Japanese yes. you know investors to invest in the African ecosystem. So one of us um called Taka, he's based in Tokyo and he's um originally professional accountant working KPMZ, and he spun off from KPMZ to work for the Japanese startups by providing accounting services and back office services like 10 years ago. And he found that after 10 years, most of his clients became unicorns. Mm -hmm. So he was like, now he was sitting at the center of the ecosystem because his customers are now unicorns. And he started to develop a kind of software as a service. It's a Japanese version of Carta to help the Japanese VCs and TVs to manage their portfolio companies online. Mm. So this also became very successful. And now he has access to every investor and a great startup in Japan. And his company was actually invested by Nikkei, the biggest Japanese business media, which is also a shareholder of Financial Times in the UK. So every startup database that Nikkei uses are coming from that company called Keppel, Keppel Japan. And so his network has been very important for us for fundraising. And a bit funny and I, I wrote, 
a bit irony is that when you talk to the Japanese investors who are not too familiar with Africa, sometimes it's more important to let others speak on behalf of us instead of myself explaining to them that I know Africa very well because validation always comes from someone else. Mm -hmm. And that person for us was someone who has been very successful in the VC space in India and Southeast Asia. Mm. He found our approach to Africa very similar to what he did 10 years ago for India and Southeast Asia. And he became a great supporter for us and he became our LP. And once we onboarded him, his reputation and his network just organically brought other to us. So I think that was really um, important um, milestone in our fundraising journey. So combination of my partner sitting in the ecosystem of Japan and onboarding you know, that kind of person who already built track record in Southeast Asia and India found us very interesting. And he said he cannot do Africa by himself. But he needs someone like us. And that really convinced others to bet on us. That is truly insightful. I mean, reputation precedes um, just your ethics and I mean, and your skill sets, but also experiences. And I think you, that, that's a great story to highlight the value reputation. That's very, very insightful. You know, I think on the back end, it's like, you know, there is there's some work that is done before you launch something like that. And, you know, your co-founders, that's such a great network to have, uh, to build on that. Um, that's, that's great. That That is pretty amazing. Uh, what, what he achieved in terms of how you know that has created value for you, for you and your, yourself and your, your team members. Um, we, we know we, so we all know, you know, um, just doing stuff in, um, and the growth market is very challenging, right? And there are a lot of things that you have to overcome. And uh, if you can just please share with us, what, what were some of the the, the initial, uh, you know, just the initial hurdles that you guys faced while you guys were, and you can start from a very personal story, like, you know, how was it like, you know, being, going back to Nigeria and, and just, you um, maybe adjusting to that ecosystem. I know you lived there seven years. I mean, totally you've been there for seven years, but how was it yep. like adjusting? And perhaps if you can just share with us your personal challenges, but also like setting the comp- uh, setting of VC fund in-, in Right. Yeah, I think, I think it's a bit um, negative aspect of the VC ecosystem, but I feel the VC ecosystem is a bit closed and, you know, not everyone is welcomed especially when you are new to the space. And to, to just get into the ecosystem, I think HBS network really helped me. Mm. But also like, you know, writing a check was very important because doing is like, you know, validating. Mm. If you are just talking, no one believes you. So I had to start writing checks actually. And of course, um, when I just started, I made lots of mistakes. So maybe like, you know, with my, with, with the hindsight, mm-hmm. maybe I have not, I have not invested in that company. But, you know, that was all about, you know, 
pointed out to my learning curve, which was very steep because we ended up in a very lean team, just three of us, and all the mistakes belong to us. So I cannot blame anyone for making wrong investments. And writing tech at a quite, you know, quick pace. And in, back in 2018, 2019, the ecosystem was still struggling with a huge funding gap. And even the great, great seed stage startups did not have enough access to the funding. So writing checks quickly and acting, actually acting is the biggest proof to other investors. So I think we started in a good way by, by, by just doing and doing, implementing. And, and in, in, through that process, also we made mistakes. And I think in Africa, it's, we tend to you know, mix up social pain and individual pains because there are too many pain points in Africa. Mm-hmm. But never forget about monetization. People pay for your service or product because they want the pain points to be solved. But when the pain point is too general or too social, we always say that someone will pay for that, although we don't want that pain. And when your business model is too broad or trying to solve too many things, or you having having too many touch points, then like you end up having little compelling, you know, value for the users to pay for your service. So I think that is one of the big mistakes that I made. But when you're new to that space, you can easily, you know, you know, go to the business model that sounds really nice. Mm. Solving different social pain. It could be maybe just poverty or shortage of water or anything. But you have to go into more details of like who is suffering for what reason and why the status quo is not working. So um, yeah, yeah, we we were new to the space, so we had to do lots of trial and errors, mm-hmm. and we learn from that. Yeah. And so, based on that, what are you guys looking for in an entrepreneur? Based on your learning curve. Um, what are some of the, um, you know, either soft soft skills or hard skills? I know now hard skills nice. You know, this thing changes interchangeably, right? People say being nice or kind now is a hard skill. I mean, whatever the case. But how are you guys? What what makes you, um, you know, say this this is a startup that is more likely gonna be a unicorn? Uh, as you guys profile the entrepreneurs to get into your portfolio? So in terms of track record, we really care about um, the founders' capability to actually earn money, to monetize. If they have made any business that can, you know, generate like monthly revenue of more than like 20K, 30K, I think that's a great validation. Um, some some entrepreneurs have much better track record of making money. It, 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 I don't care if it is like really startup business or any other business, but the, the track record of making money is really important because that is the validation of their business savviness. And business savviness is so important because Africa is 
one of the most difficult places to make money, mm. to let people pay for you. People don't pay. Mm. Yeah, so that's one. Yeah. And, and just so, um, so if the business savviness is one, right? Um, yeah. And let me see, you have two very good business savvy people. Uh, and maybe, I mean, because um, j- just kind of give us, uh, if you had two business, very good two business savvy people, is that like a, um, is there an advantage when it comes to geography or, you know, just, um, you know, return on investment, probably five, 10 years, is there other variables that you guys consider and say, this is just like, I can help boil down to like this one or two investors um, when you guys are thinking of, does technology have a factor in it? Um, yeah. Or is there, is there just a combination of many things that just boils down yeah. to it? Yeah, and I think understanding of customers is quite important. And I'm almost like counting my aha moments in, in my introductory call. And like, you know, there's a lot of, if there are a lot of, you know, clicking moments in the conversation, usually I end up investing in that founder. And even if the business model sounds very beautiful and very like, you know, innovative, I really don't invest in that startup when I don't get a lot of insights, especially from their experience of engaging with customers. They should have a lot of insights and we have invested in more than hundred startups. And it means that we have screened like thousands of companies. Mm-hmm. So even, you know, I'm, I'm just a VC and I try to be very humble because always the spotlight should be on, on the startups. That's, that's what I believe. Investors should be someone to just support these founders. But after, you know, talking to different founders and learning from them, I'm quite sure that, you know, I'm familiar with different business models and different approaches and different solutions. And if there is no like aha moment or clicking moment, Mm -hmm. I feel like they're, you know, not very sensitive to what their customers are telling them. Mm -hmm. And they be sensitive to the insights from their customers. So that's also very important aspect. And so, um, I mean, thank you so much for sharing that because it gives it gives like that granular um, idea of how you're thinking about potential investees, if I can say that. Um, just just picking bagging off that, um, uh, do you do you actually um, value recommendations from your like, colleagues and peers uh, when it comes to investment opportunities, or do you do do you do like uh, um syndicate investments like do you have co-investments uh and uh and warm leads like if someone says hey you know you is a colleague of yours from another uh, uh an acquaintance of yours in another VC fund and say hey check out this entrepreneur are, are those ones more favorable for you to say okay this is someone that I should take a look at and and you know just check him out um from your experience is that something that you that you value as you no know, this is something i should be thinking about as a potential invest investee yes yes i am very well aware of limitation of being japanese i'm not nigerian i'm not kenyan i'm not Ghanaian or cameroonian mm-hmm. so i think you know 
the engagement or experience that I can have with the local communities is limited. Mm. I cannot overstate about that. So I think I really need to, you know, collaborate with local investors. Mm -hmm. And most important thing is that we investors can provide diversified values to the, you know, startups. You know, each, each investors have their own strength and the unique value that they can bring on the table. And luckily we as a Japanese VC, um, the values that we can bring for the startups is quite unique. Mm -hmm. um, we always prioritize the values of bringing strategic investors from Japan and Asia to our portfolio companies. Mm -hmm. And this cannot be replicated by other local VCs. But on the other hand, I rely on them for, you know, learning about having a deep, deep understanding about the ecosystem. And usually the great founders are, could be identified from their previous working experience. And especially now we are seeing more and more like, you know, ex-Jumia guys or ex-interested guys starting their own business as an entrepreneur. Okay. And I don't know a lot of people from Jumia or Intersuite because although I spent some time in Nigeria, my industry was in infrastructure, energy. So I think I still have to rely on my co-investors who has already deep relationship with Jumia or Intersuite or Andera, whatever. So I really respect what my co-investors have, but also the values that we can bring doesn't overlap with any of them. So I think, you know, I'm quite, we are quite neutral as a Japanese VC. Some local VCs might have, you know, different groups. This VC and that VC are very close. Okay. That VC and this VC might not go well, well go well. So okay. like, we can be good friends to everyone as a Japanese VC, bringing a different, a unique value, and that can be appreciated by any of them. Yeah. And our goal, don't forget this, um, we have to bring diversified values for the startups because, you know, depending on the stage of their, you know, business growth, what they need is so different between early stage, growth phase, what they want is different. So we have to be prepared to provide more consistent um, support to the growth of the startup. And I feel like what we can bring to the startups is a bit more focused on later stage because we can bring, we, we try to solve actually two gaps in the ecosystem. The first gap is the deep gap between seed and series A. Yes. And back then, like three years ago, four years ago, even the great seed stage startups struggled to fundraise for series A. Mm. Only a handful of the startups who have access to Y Combinator or any other acceler global accelerator yes. could access global investors for Series A. But for other local startups, it was very difficult. So we wanted to play an anchor role to indeed seed state startups as a global VC and connect them with other global investors for their Series A. So to, to close that gap between seed and Series A and my our second focus was to um, solve the mismatch between what the startups in Africa need 
and available type of investors in Africa. In Africa, you can easily find financial investors and impact-driven investors, but it's very difficult to find strategic investors. Mm-hmm. But if you look at Asia or India, you find that strategic investors have been driving the growth of the startups as an investor, but also as acquirer of the startups, providing exit opportunities. Mm-hmm. And Africa doesn't have that, you know, strategic investors. Mm-hmm. We wanted to bring more strategic investors from Japan and Asia. So we try to solve these two gaps. Mm. I mean, this, I think you need to do a, uh, a lecture on this. This is really good. This <laughs> <laughs> is really good. And I think, uh, um, I think you guys really thought about this. You know, this is, this is all strategy at the back end. And, uh, and I, I, as you, as you just explained, I think the gaps you identified is like spot on, um, and your role as, you know, um, your role in this space is just remarkable. And I think there's a lot of, 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 you know, growth that will come with just your, your presence in Nigeria and across Africa. So I really appreciate what you guys are doing and, uh, continue to do. Um, can you just share with us, uh, some of the, if you, if you can, uh, if it's within the, the legality of this is I'm, I'm quite aware some things cannot be shared. What are some of like the investments that you guys have done, or maybe just the recent ones that you're proud you're proud of? <laughs> yeah, thank you. So, in the fintech space, we invested in Tmapt mm. recently move, and I think you know the momentum of the growth of these two companies are quite you know impressive and phenomenal so yeah we are proud of you know these two companies Amazing. but also we have we, we have been very sector agnostic so we have invested in like healthcare startups such as africa health holdings ahh mm. or in the marketplace space we invested in africria from Cote d'Ivoire. And we brought, actually for both AHH and Africa, we brought Japanese companies listed on the Tokyo Stock Exchange to make their first direct investment into the Africa startups. And they became very important strategic partner for them. For AHH, the Japanese company that invested in them is actually the fastest growing healthcare company from Japan. Mm. And they have already acquired similar startup from India. So, you know, we are trying to kind of replicate the roles that these strategic investors can have played in Asia to Africa. Mm-hmm. And even for Africa, we brought the Japanese cross-border e-commerce company listed on Tokyo Stock Exchange to also invest in, in, in Africa. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know, this is like example of actually how we are bringing strategic investors from Japan. And maybe in the communication space, we invested in Taramai, Tarami, which yeah, is like, uh, you know, African version of Twilio. Mm. So, That's incredible. So, yeah, we, we are sector agnostic and we have invested in different startups so far. That's, that's incredible. I think I know African Health Hold is with uh, Sango Delhi, right? Yeah. Yes, uh, the great guy. Amazing, amazing, smart guy too. Uh, yeah. Just, yes. 
and it's a Harvard grad too. So I guess there's some familiarity with that. Um, that is amazing. That's amazing. Uh, from, as you guys are thinking of, uh, you know, uh, you guys started in 2019, 2020? Yeah, end of 2018, we started, yeah. End of 2018. So uh, that has been over um, like four, four, five, four, five years? Yeah, almost like, yeah. Um, so the next five years, what are you guys thinking of? Um, um, you know, you guys are based now in Nigeria, Kenya. Are you guys double downing on those both areas? Uh, are you guys thinking of scaling um, in other African countries or... And I know there was a vertical that uh, kind of you kind of mentioned um, at some point. How how is the yeah. what's the next uh, the, the next phase? So yeah, ecosystem has you know growing so fast in the past four five years, and now the bottleneck is no more seed stage. I think we are seeing more and more small funds investing in seed stage. And we are seeing global investors like Tiger Global or Sequoia or Andreessen Horowitz or SoftBank coming into the later stage. So we feel Series A and Series B are kind of left behind. And we need to support these Series A, Series B startups very intensively. Otherwise, these Series A startups cannot go up to Series A, Series B. They need larger check size for investment, but they also need support to fuel their growth. And what they need at seed stage and growth phase is quite different. And we think um, bringing strategic investors are more relevant for these growth phase startups because these strategic investors can share the operational excellence and provide global network to expand beyond their original markets to other markets. And they can also provide strong brand, which startups don't have. And as I said, with our fund team, which just started investing and which will continue investing for the next three, four years, partnered with a Nigeria-based PE fund called Berot. And we are running this fund too in the joint venture. And we believe that the expertise of PE fund to provide hands-on support to SMEs can be institutionalized in the BC context and apply their expertise for the growth rate startups, even like providing operational support, strategic support, providing back office services, giving them guidelines for how to, you know, maximize the impact or how to, you know, um, bring more structure and governance to the growth rate companies in the management and the board structure or how to manage with regulators. All these, you know, know-hows can be, you know, we can learn from the PE's expertise. So we are now trying to combine PE's expertise and our Asian strength. Mm -hmm. So that is very laser focused to support Swiss A, Swiss B startups. Yeah, I, I can agree with you more. I think that's that that is the right space, and uh, I think that is that is what, for my for my just opinion, I think that is what's needed, and it's just amazing that you guys are providing that. So, um, I'm so excited for you. I think this is gonna be very exciting uh, next next few years. So as we're wrapping up this episode, uh, I just 
wanted you to just um, these questions now are more of like inspirational questions. Just give people a context of, you know, um, where you draw your strength from, what advice you give to entrepreneurs as they apply, and you know if there's any advice you've received that has really helped you think about how to be a better VC uh, slash PE um, um, uh, uh, individual in this space. So, just one thing I would love to get your feedback. So, what advice will you give to entrepreneurs as they build? the businesses maybe in Nigeria or across Africa, what's one thing that you say, or maybe two, or something general that you tell them, like, this is something you should focus on. And you have said something before um, about just if you're having great insights, but um, if yeah. there's anything else you want to add. I think now um, the startups are getting obsessed with, like, hyper growth and, you know, and, and fundraising a lot yeah. because, you know, all the news headlines are about the valuation and the amount of fundraising. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we know the limitation of like leap scaling and especially in Africa, because public infrastructure is not so available, you have to take time to build your business. Mm -hmm. And if you try to grow too quickly, you end up doing everything to, to build the infrastructure around you by yourself and you become very asset heavy and you have to keep fundraising and you shouldn't forget that your strength comes from your real mode and mode comes from like you know how you can serve your customers in a unique way so i think you know sometimes you know growing too fast is not the best best way for the startups and also, I sometimes feel like there is more like a kind of lack of a bit discipline because the capital is flowing in, into the ecosystem too fast with large amount. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some startups start to invest in other peer startups at very early stage. And I'm not going to judge it. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a great evidence of the ecosystem becoming more collaborating and founders starting to help each other. But I think there is also maybe negative aspects because, you know, because money is flowing into the ecosystem, our mindset is becoming like, okay, we should bet on this and that. And even if this one doesn't go well, I can maybe still back up by, you know, uh, betting on different things. Mm -hmm. And if mindset becomes prevalent among the entrepreneurs because now founders are investing in other startups a lot. I think it's a lack of discipline. So I think we should really focus on what we need to build and we shouldn't forget about, you know, building the moat. That is the most important driver of your growth. So you shouldn't compromise on moat. Don't just depend, rely on, you know, fund, fundraising a lot and just growing too quickly because at some point you hit the ceiling and you can't grow from there. And even after seeing like many unicorns coming out of Africa, like last year alone, we had maybe six or seven unicorns, mm -hmm. but we should also forget that the biggest amount of exit by African startups so far is not more than 500 million US dollars. So, you know, you might get stranded if you just keep growing getting higher valuation, then like, how do you make exit? Exactly. Can you really make an IPO or can you convince someone to acquire your business at such a high amount? Yeah. I doubt it. And even if you follow the stock price of Jumia or other 
startup, maybe Huawei or Redundo. Sometimes it's difficult for the, you know, the US or European public stock markets to appreciate the reality of the business in Africa. So there is misalignment between the reality and the stock price, even after making IPO. So we should really, you know, be aware of this issue and don't rush to grow too quickly and don't be too, too obsessed with higher valuation and larger fundraising. Those are great advices. Great, great yeah. advices. To all the entrepreneurs out there, please, this that's very that's that's needed. That's so important for you to to learn that um, coming from someone who has a lot of experience in this space. Um, so now let's talk a little bit about you as we close the, the episode. Um, how do you and you're a very busy guy, you have many meetings, you meet entrepreneurs, you have to make sure that limited partners are doing okay. So how do you manage all that? How do you manage um, the stress that comes with this job? I know you love it. You said you love this job. <laughs> but uh, one thing that, you know, just uh, as, as someone like you, that you are doing really high impact work, um, especially for, as a VC, you know, it comes times that you're just you're overworked, right? So how do you maintain your composure, your, your, your sense of being and making sure that you make the right decisions because, you know, it comes with a high degree of just uh, a lot of information uh, that comes in. Um, so how do you embrace that? Or what are some of the things that helps you to still be yourself and, you know, you are the best version of yourself every day or at least most days as you as you navigate this amazing journey of funding entrepreneurs and really making a difference on the continent? Yeah, thank you for asking that. Yeah, I think I try to be very honest about my feelings. So when I think I'm getting too tired, I, you know, just try to take a rest. Mm-hmm. But I'm, at the same time, I think I'm learning from the work, working style of the African entrepreneurs and places. I think the borderline between your professional life and personal life is actually very, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's there's no clear borderline, actually. Like, you know, even when you're socializing, you, you're exposed to great ideas from someone, and that gives me inspiration about the startups and VC. So I think like meeting people is my job, and meeting people is also the source of rest and excitement for me. So, you know, I try not to, you know, have a you know, very strict borderline between work and personal activities. And I try to be very, you know, just open to everyone. And I try to enjoy conversation. And uh, I'm always, I'm, I think my, what drives me is always curiosity. Mm. And curiosity is the source of successful investment. But also curiosity is the source of my energy to work hard and to learn a lot and to become happier. So, that's, yeah, that, yeah, that's great. <laughs> that's so good. Uh, that's so good. I need. I'll probably steal that, man. Curiosity is source of good. It's a source of inspiration. Um, there is, uh, uh, you know, what 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 really? I mean, beyond having these conversations and all these dialogues that you have, what are some of the um, the information that you consume that really helps inform you to just become a better VC and also just like a, uh, just you know learn about how the ecosystem works. Do you listen to a certain podcast? Are there books that you think 
um, just helps you think about this in a you know in a different way or, or through the lenses that you guys are already working on. Uh, do you have any recommendations that other VCs should be thinking about or entrepreneurs as they're navigating this space? Um, yeah, I'm, I try to follow, you know, different people on Twitter and I try to participate in different chat group, either on like Discord or, you know, Telegram or WhatsApp. And I think that's the source of information for me. But I also, you know, like when you're talking with someone, I think, although you need to be a good listener, but I think you also have to always share your unique insights and your unique views. And I think your unique, uniqueness always comes from like something outside what you're focused on. Like currently, I try to learn a lot from like Japanese companies' perspectives or what's going on in India. Just this morning, I was talking with a VC investor based in Central Asia, or yesterday I was talking to, you know, someone building Web3 product. So I think exposing yourself to, you know, different things, different ideas is really the source of like, you know, and when you have these random inputs, you feel like you're kind of overwhelmed, but, you know, you gradually digest and I think you start to connect different pieces and that would shape your views. So, and yeah. I think listening to different things just gives you more energy and gives you lots of ideas. So I try to, you know, I try not to limit myself to like what I need to learn about or what I need to follow. Yeah, that's great. I think there's uh, there's this term like lateral, lateral, inter- lateral something like, like Ford, Henry Ford learned how the, to assemble cars from the meat industry. Yeah. Like, you know, like picking things from outside can help inform right. you. So I, I, that, 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 that makes a lot of sense. That's, that's very insightful. Um, and, and I think that really helps kind of inform me as well, as well as our listeners. So um, ju- just for a close here, what do you envision Africa to be in the next 10 years or five, you know, maybe... Um, and how do you think, and I know you're a very humble guy. You're a very nice, humble guy. You do some great work uh, with couple. I mean, sorry, before to answer that question, is, what? how much is the fund you guys have now? How much, you know, do you guys, for, in terms of check, uh, size check that you guys do at the moment and hope to do? Uh... Yeah, so we deployed all the capital mm-hmm. from our fund one, which was 18 million US dollars, one eight to invest in seed stage startups. And now we moved on to our fund two and we just achieved our first close. And we have commitment of in total 47 million US dollars, which is going to be deployed from now. That is amazing. That is amazing. So amazing. Um, And so just going on to this last question here, um, I know, and I'll just say it again, you know, I, you know I've, I've gotten to interact with you for a couple of, uh, you know, well, I've had some couple of interactions and I know genuinely you're a humble person and you, you're focused on the work, you have that focus. Um, but, you know, how do you see your role uh, with Kepler Africa Ventures in Africa? Um, and what do you hope to see Africa in the next five, 10 years through the work you're doing uh, on, the, on the continent? Yeah, so our vision is to create 
new industries from Africa. And I think that the, that vision comes from like how I was very excited when I was a kid, when I was listening to my grandfather's story. And, you know, at that time, Japanese economy was growing like crazy. Mm. And, you know, when the economy is growing, there are lots of also like, you know, negative side effects. There was lots of like environmental issue, health issue, or different issues, family issues. But I think always growth, you know, excites people because you get more aspiration to have better tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, um, looking at the history of Africa, I think now we are seeing more and more homegrown innovation made by local entrepreneurs. And I think this is most exciting time for me. And I think I'm lucky because if, you know, my I was inspired by Africa and I became enthusiastic about Africa. But if it was maybe 10 years ago or 20 years ago, maybe I just end up working for maybe UN or working for EFIs, providing different, you know, infrastructure projects or grant projects. And it's nothing about innovation. Mm. But now, you know, we are seeing initiative and ownership of the entrepreneurs. And, you know, ironically, maybe some of these entrepreneurs was born to the, you know, good family maybe. And their family, their parents used to work for maybe old big industry. And now their kids maybe studied abroad or they work for startups and they're trying to even like disrupt the old business models that were developed by their parents' generation. And I think this is a good thing because sometimes, you know, legacy has been the source of maybe inequality or inefficiencies. And Africa has a lot of kind of, you know, bias, a bad reputation about, you know, mm-hmm. chronism, corruption, and so on. And then I think, you know, Startups and entrepreneurs are quite opposite to these perceptions. Mm-hmm. We are creating a new future of the continent together with these entrepreneurs. They are very vision-driven, passion-driven, goal-driven. They're not going to stay with the legacy. So I think we are at a very interesting timing. And even Africa can become a good you know, case study, a good model, role model for other emerging markets. Mm-hmm. 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 We are very bullish about Africa. And Japanese companies are actually trying to learn from the African startups. They want to outsource innovation from Africa because they know they cannot innovate to make products or services that cater to the you know new emerging lifestyles and and from, from Africa. So you know we are learning from Africa. That's, that's amazing. Um, Satoshi, thank you so much for being here. Um, uh, yeah, you are a remarkable person. Um, and I think, you know, just your insights that you've shared on this episode will really go a long way to really inform people about Africa as a continent, but just kind of the work you do and how that's making a difference on the continent on a very basic level, localized level. And I couldn't thank you more for your time. Um, and you know, I want to also kind of shout out to your founders, your partners as well, for the incredible work they do in their own, uh, in their respective geographies, or even when they work with you in Nigeria, 
I, I really, um, I'm, I'm banking on you guys to really, you know, lead the way on, especially on that strategic investments, bringing in the Japanese partners. I think that's really helpful and kind of help, you know, these companies get exit. And I think that's a critical piece to development. So uh, entrepreneurship in Africa. So thank you so much. Um, we appreciate your, your insights. Thank you, Jacob. Awesome. So uh, we're going to have our next episode soon. Um, and I'm excited that, you know, we got to learn about Satoshi today. All the links of this, uh, of the company will be in the description. And uh, we are so excited to just have him here. So I'm looking forward to having you guys in the next episode. Bye, everyone.